0: Morning, we're in the middle of a uh, rather extended series. We're in week six, which is cool. Um, does anyone like the number six particularly? Yeah, Rod does. You like you like six? Okay, cool. Ah, oh, yes, sorry. Ah, yes, ah, uh, classic, classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, ah. Uh, we've been talking about uh, Christian spirituality and ourselves using the idea of fire and water. Uh, the Greeks had this idea that we were born with fire, that we were born with energies within us that are um, burst, bursting out of us, that we have drives and desires that get us up in the morning and getting us going about the world. Um, but if we don't somehow temper those desires, if we don't direct them, um, We can easily become blasted in a thousand different directions, overrun, rampant, Uh, or we can become singularly obsessed with one thing in an unhealthy manner at the cost of everything else. And so there's this idea within spirituality of water, uh, that water's job is to um, temper desire, to direct it, uh, that we need both of those things, that our souls need to provide us with enough energy and enthusiasm and drive and passion to go out into the world and Be as human as possible, but at the same time, we also need some measures to make sure that we direct that energy towards meaningful things. We've discussed the fact that we are meaning-filled beings, that there are better and worse ways of living, that there's activities that we can do that make us more human, and there's activities that make us less human. And that a big part of spirituality is connecting somehow with a deeper meaning. Making sure that we live our lives in light of something that goes beyond um, just what we can see, Christian spirituality says that we find um, a sense of authenticity and meaning in the shaping of ourselves in who God created us to be, and that our lives are actually an interaction, a discovery, um, an uncovering of the names that God puts on us, um, and that they direct the way that we live our lives. Bradley Holt. Uh, says this, Christian spirituality is a way of walking in the Holy Spirit. It therefore involves the whole of life, not some private segment. It is the way we relate to God, to ourselves, to others, and to the creation, as well as their relation to us. Um, When we first started talking about the idea of doing a series on spirituality, I could sense (laughs) an, an apprehension In our congregation, because for some people, spirituality isn't a word that they like. And for many years, it certainly wasn't a word that I liked. Um, I'm an activity kind of person. And uh, in my early years, I was never drawn to the topic of spirituality. I found it too vague, too pointless. Um, But more than anything, I found it disconnected from the rest of my life. I always thought of spirituality as some kind of escape from the real world spirituality in um, my upbringing was interchangeable with time with God. Uh, And time with God, uh, I could never entirely figure out what we were supposed to do. But um, we were encouraged to get up early, and that's like the first floor for me because I was never... I've never been an early morning person. I don't know why I started working as a barista. It's a terrible idea. But I've never been an early morning person, particularly when I was younger. And we always encouraged, like you know, the most spiritual people were the spiritual, were the people who got up before the birds and then prayed for the birds that they would get up. Um, and 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 we were supposed to spend time um, praying, which, once again, in my framework, I just, just always imagined as some kind of you know lists with God. Um, talking at God, telling him what, what we needed. Um, I'd get excited about for a while when I felt guilty that I wasn't spiritual enough. Um, and I'd be very enthusiastic and somber and pious about um, making sure that I got this time with God. But pretty soon afterwards, it would all fade away. Um, I knew it was what I should do, but I just didn't really know why it mattered so much. And it didn't help that often these two things in my world were pitted against each other. To be spiritual was to pray and read our Bibles. The rest of life, working, playing, and living was called activity. And we all knew what God would rather us do. Much in the same way that uh, joining the ministry was more important than plumbing. Um, There was this separation and divide between what was spiritual and then kind of what was carnal. And for me, making them enemies was incredibly unhelpful. This idea that we were either either feeding our flesh or feeding, feeding the spirit. Um, and funnily enough, a lot of the problem I had with spirituality came down to the way that we described ourselves. Uh, spirit versus flesh, heavenly versus earthy, one above the other. As I've matured, now I know on the surface that may not appear to have happened. But in some some areas I have. Don't judge too quickly. As I've matured, I've found a home within an integrated spirituality. When spirituality becomes about the transcendent and about the imminent, about time apart and then time with. And this week uh, we're going to cross to our American correspondent, um, to talk about spirituality um, and about the integration of these two worlds. So uh I like you in, you know, give a give a warm Minnesota welcome to Reed. Reed Gozen. Where does he gozen? We don't know. Thank you. Thank you.
1: What a blessing Shane is. Um, so yeah, we're in a series on spirituality, and a few weeks back. Um, we talked about how spirituality is sort of what we do with our desires, how we handle our emotions, our needs, our dreams, urges, etc. Um, today, I want to add to that definition a little bit and talk about um, how spirituality is about how we relate to ourselves and to others. It's not only about sitting still and thinking pious thoughts to try to connect with this God who is far away in the heavens, but Um, spirituality is also earthy and organic and something that all of us practice already in one way or another on a daily basis. Um, I admit that a lot of the time it doesn't occur to me to think about spirituality like this. Um, my spirituality is a separate thing, something that's more internal, something I tap into only when I'm reading my Bible or praying or doing devotions or stuff like that, um, A lot of us use the words like heavenly or abstract or not of this earth maybe when we talk about something being spiritual. I bet a lot of us in this room think that way about our own spirituality, that it has to do with the parts of us that are non-material, the pieces of us that we might describe as our soul or our mind. And it's understandable that we think this way, especially as Westerners. It's actually a pretty old idea. It started about... 2,400 years ago in Greece with this guy named Plato, he started thinking about everything, not just bodies, but everything, um, in terms of two categories, things that are physical on the one hand and things that are are non-physical. And because of Plato, people started thinking about themselves as having a body and a soul, but that the soul was trying desperately to escape this body and leave to a place where other soulful little things exist and his way of thinking really took off and was pretty much the start of western philosophy and shaped um, development for the next thousands of years and then one more thing happened also in Europe in um, the 17th century in France, uh, the enlightenment happened uh, largely because of this French dude named Descartes he was the guy who said I think therefore I am and because of Descartes um, and the Enlightenment, the the main goal of society was to advance society using reason and scientific thought. Um, and as a result of this, the the mind and the use of intellect and reason got elevated and became like the most important thing in society. This thought is still very true of our culture, of most of Europe, Australia, America. Um, a person's mind is often considered the most important part of that person. So I think I have a slide. Do I have a slide, Alex? That's what Plato did. He separated the body and the mind, and then you have Descartes um, elevating. So yes, you have Plato pulling these, these two things apart, and then you have Descartes in the Enlightenment <laughs> pulling one over the other. And I think our goal, oh no, as Christians is to try to aim for Something more like that. <laughs> to be somewhere in between. I believe that's Jared Leto and, and Princess Kate. So, um, so yeah, anyways, it makes sense that we think this way about spirituality because we're Westerners and because uh, Christianity and Western culture have um, grown up together and been very connected historically. We read and teach the Bible from a Western point of view. Um, yeah, okay, I remember sitting in Sunday school when I was uh, like five or six years old. And um, <laughs> I'm surprised that they even let me come into Sunday school in the first place. I went to pre-K. Is that what it's called here? Preschool? Preschool. Yeah. Bef- it's before kindergarten though. Yeah. Oh. Well, okay. Well, in America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah we so you have it's preschool's like an optional thing, so I went to preschool at my church and and it was divided into you could go in the morning or you could go in the afternoon, and it was kind of just whatever worked best for your parents. but in between, there was this really special time called Lunch bunch <laughs> and uh and I loved me some lunch bunch because I found out that if i just if I just ran around and did weird stuff in about two minutes, I could get the whole class chanting my name like. I was Spartacus. I was the leader of something. Um, and this, our poor old teacher, and she really was old. She was this tiny old Minnesotan Norwegian lady. Um, she just couldn't handle the chaos. So like, after a week of lunch bunch, I got kicked out. I don't know. Yeah, they kicked me out of lunch bunch. So she crushed the movement. But they still let me come to Sunday school. And I remember sitting there uh, one week, and the whole lesson for that week was... I don't know, we were talking about heaven, and kind of the punchline, which probably came like 30 seconds in for preschoolers, um, was that our bodies were only our earth suits, so that they didn't really matter. And um, yeah, that was a really interesting concept, and maybe why the memory sticks out, but that wasn't the only place where I'd heard that idea. I think within a lot of Christian communities, it's actually a super common way of interpreting our bodily experience. And the Bible itself doesn't always... Oh, yeah. Has that been up the whole time? Oh, cool. Um, Yeah, the Bible itself has these tough verses um, that also lend themselves to our understanding of spirituality in this way, that it's only something that goes on inside of us and not outside of us at all. Um, So don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Keep watch and pray, so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Based on these verses alone, you can totally see why someone would come to the conclusion that, from a biblical point of view, the physical side of our existence is weak and sinful and really only gets in the way of our connection with God, and that there's a more important part of us that should get the majority of our attention, our spiritual side. Without going into a ton of detail, um, for me it was super helpful to hear that the New Testament authors, when they talk like this, They're using body and flesh um, merely to personify evil desire and sin. It's a a literary device. Essentially, they're not having a go at everything that is matter, everything that's made up of something. Um, That would be a very un-Jewish way, actually, of understanding the body. A Jewish understanding of spirituality and physical life was a lot more holistic. Spirituality... And physical life had everything to do with one another. They didn't separate things like the Greeks did or elevate um, the intellect like the Enlightenment did. In the Bible, spirituality, in both the Old and New Testament, um, is a daily reality, not an escape from it. So if we're content to think about our spirituality as something that only concerns our souls or our minds, uh, then the way that we understand what it means to be human. And to be a Christian can get really lopsided. Because yes, spirituality is about how we relate to God. It is about journaling and reading and doing devotions, at least for me. That's what my spirituality, um, or that's one way that it gets expressed. But it's also about how we relate to other people too. And about how we relate to ourselves, our physical selves. Um, The more and more I've had a chance to look at it, the more I'm convinced that God intends our spirituality to be earthy and organic, because we as humans are earthy and organic. I found a really cool quote this week um, while I was reading. It goes like this. The very name Adam, which the man is given in Genesis, is a play on words that indicates his origin from earth. For in Hebrew, adham means human being. And that word is used repeatedly in the Old Testament to refer not to the individual Adam but also to humanity in general. same word. And then Ad Hama means earth. So the name that God gave Adam, it means human being in earth. Um, so this plays on verses in Genesis where it says that you know God formed humankind out of the dust the same way that he formed animals out of the dust of the very earth. Um, So we're very earthy, even from the the beginning. Um, The way before sin entered the world, we were physical, we were organic and earthy. And far from our earthiness being a bad thing, we know that uh, in Genesis, it says that God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So I see God caring for and affirming the physical side of us. I see God desperately desiring to be the focus of our daily activity. A ton of the laws and regulations in the Old Testament um, that God gave to the nation of Israel were about cleanliness and diet, super physical things. We read about feasts and festivals and drinking wine when Israel is celebrating and about fasting, smearing ashes on their face and wearing itchy fabric, sackcloth, when they're mourning. Jewish responses to things were embodied. They were reflected um, by what they did with their body. We read about Jesus healing sick people, caring for the poor, and we read about his disciples doing the same. So spirituality, it's not either the body or the soul, it's both the body and the soul. It's an all-inclusive way um, of being, an all-inclusive way of being that's intended to reach all parts of our lives, not the abstract, the invisible, or the intellectual parts, but the daily, the mundane, the physical parts. Um, before I hand the mic back to Shane Eugene Peterson who wrote the message hits the idea of a holistic spirituality really well uh, in his paraphrase of the beginning of Romans 12 here it is so here's what I want you to do God helping you take your everyday ordinary life your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. So you see Paul, who a lot of times writes these verses that seem to promote a sort of separation. And, I don't know, you also see him having these verses where it's like, no, it's about ordinary life. It's about our daily existence being the place where we work out our spirituality. So, um, yeah, that's all I have to say. Back to
0: Shane. Thanks, man. I was going to read that. Um, gonna, no, no. Leave it. Thanks. Um, I was going to read that again from Romans 12. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. Your sleeping eating going to work walking around life and place it before God as an offering embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking instead fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out and i think it's a beautiful description of a of kind of what we're trying to get to within the spirituality series the idea that, um, that the transcendent elements of our lives, the, the time spent apart, um, the time spent in quiet places, the time spent in prayer and reflection and in interiority, are somehow a chance to actually ground ourselves in something deeper, to actually make contact with um, what God has for us, not so that that can be the goal, the end goal, but so that we can live out of that place. That we can live out of the richness and depth of that meaning. That spirituality shapes our activity. It gives direction to our life. It helps us make, make decisions about um, what desires we entertain and what ones we curb. About uh, where we spend our energy and where we choose not to. About making conne- a connection with what it means to be a human being. Because we live in a world of ideas and there's a thousand different ideas about what it is we are to do with our lives and what it is to be successful, um, what it is to be human. Christian spirituality is about letting God shape those things. Reflection, prayer, and interiority still really, really matter. But not so that we can make them the end goal of our existence, but so that we can live out of those deep, deep places. We encounter God to let him shape us and direct us knowing that he created us to live life. We then live our lives as an act of spirituality in light of the truth and meaning we've discovered. Our identity is shaped from our creator, connected, plugged into the beyond. His deep, deep connecting with our deep, deep. One of the helpful ways I think um, of of understood this is is to see, um, I once read of a, a, a Jewish perception of the fall, not so much as the separation of heaven and earth, but it's the dislocation of heaven and earth. That somehow, um, in this world, we're we're somehow dislocated from a connection with God. And that time taken out to spend with God is not um, so much just the invitation for God to be present on earth, but the recognition of his presence and amongst our activities and an attempt to connect with that. Prayer, religious practices, um, in Scripture, where we, where, um, are what the Celts called thin places, where somehow it's easier to encounter um, God, to be relocated, to live out of a sense of our true home. Um, but the idea of that is not to live in that place, but to let that place shape the rest of our activity. Um, spiritual exercises aren't the goal. Whole lives are the goal. Henry Newman says this, To pray, I think does not mean to think about God in contrast to thinking about other things or to spend time with God instead of spending time with other people. Rather, it means to live and think in the presence of God. All our actions must have their origin in prayer. Praying is not an isolated activity. It takes place in the midst of all the other things and affairs that keep us active. In prayer, a self-centered monologue becomes a God-centered dialogue. And this is from a man who spent... um, days and days on, in silence retreats, um, who, who removed himself often for private prayer. But I think the way he sees that is that that's actually training for the ability for during our everyday life to be active listeners and responsive and even communicating with God in the things that we do in our everyday life. The private trains us for, our public, for the public, li- listening in silence, helps us listen in public. One of the other things this this does for us is that if we separate out these categories of body and soul and spirit um, too far, we often don't realize how much they affect each other. That what, what we do with our bodies, the state of our bodies and our mind affect our spirituality. Our spirituality affects... Um, the state of our mind and our bodies. If we're so busy and overrun that we can't pause and stop, it makes us incredibly it incredibly difficult to be shaped by God. Um, if we let ourselves get run down, um, if we don't care if we don't care for our bodies, then it's very hard to go out and do the activities um, that that God has called us to do. Because we're embody, embodied being, um, cleaning is not less important than prayer. I um, heard someone talking about spiritu- the spirituality of cleaning once. And they said, if you don't think spiritual, um, cleaning is spiritual, here's an activity. Don't clean your house for a week. And see what happens to your life as it slowly unravels in the mess that you live in. Has anyone not cleaned their house for a week? <laughs> Confession time. But, but, think, but think about it. Think about the accumulation of junk and stuff and dirt. Think about your state of mind. Think about your ability to cope. Think about your ability to do the things that you feel that you've been called to do. Think about your activity and your work and light of that, returning home each day to an ever-increasing junk pile of grease and grime. I I lived in a flat for a while that um, if you ever wanted to cook, you would need to clean everything like, there were no things that weren't dirty already. There were just piles of things and curries sitting on stoves um, from about four days ago. And my mental health suffered dramatically. <laughs> and all, all of my life <laughs> began to be consumed by this anger <laughs> of, this lack, of this lack of cleanliness. All these, com- what we would like to think of as compartments of our lives flow into each other. For God, plumbing is not less spiritual than reading the Bible. They're all a part of what we've been called to do as humans, to be active. How we plumb, that's that's what's spiritual. How we go about doing what we do that's what's spiritual. They're not separated. They're integrated. Um, I thought we'd just take a moment with, um, just to kind of talk about what questions or observations might flow out of this. I think we're really lucky to have a, a wealth of wisdom within our community. And it would just be cool to take five minutes to um, just to ask what, um, what, what, how does this challenge um, how we think? How does this? Uh, How' uh, perhaps this shed light for some of you? Uh, what critique would you have of it? Um, is there anything that we 've missed? any observations that you'd like to um, like to share with us so if anyone 's got anything to say now 's a really good time for that Anthony
2: i've been really taken by the notion of Meditation and how it, that means simply being present. So it can be, you know, just time by yourself with God, with the Bible, or it can be the meditation of making a cup of coffee, or or eating your breakfast. It's around being present with the everyday. Um, yeah, it's a it's a mental state. It's a it's a healthier mental state, but it's around just seeing the sacred in, you know, the blessings of, you know, that somebody's uh, worked hard and grown these coffee beans and somebody else has ground them, somebody else has sold them to you. Just this notion of being present with the everyday and it, it imbues the everyday and all those things, those small
0: rituals with the sacred. And that's great because, <laughs> stop fighting, because, because being present and aware in your making of coffee, shapes how you see the rest of the world. You think about coffee farmers, you think about um, the work that's been done to get that to you. You think about nutrients and sustenance, and the fact that God sustains all things. Uh, so, so rather than getting further and further disconnected from our world, from the people around us, from our activity, um, it's far harder to treat people as commodities when we're more integrated beings. It's Far harder to abuse coffee farmers when every time you drink coffee, you think about the way it sustains you, um, and perhaps the flow-on effect of our purchasing decisions. <laughs> cool, um, Kat and Daphne, you can scrap this one out. Who's the most Christian? Daphne. <laughs> so Daphne, I'll give it to you.
3: Le- lead by age. <laughs> um, Brother Lawrence, he was a monk in the old days was it his book was it practicing yeah practicing the presence of god and just when you were talking about that and i just read the message thing again and um the bit that still i can retain in my brain is when he's washing up and he said he actually loves washing up because it gave him time to talk to god not that i would actually like washing up very much (laughs) in my household but yeah i really took that on board and thought yeah
4: Um, when I was in Japan, I went to. I had a day of going to places that used to be other places, but are now new places in those other places. <laughs> so one of them was um, a really, really, really old shrine, um, like a temple that was in the middle of what had become a very populated, fancy shopping district right in the middle of Tokyo. And what somebody had done is seen this old shrine, approached the person that owned the land and turned it into a coffee shop and it was this amazing experience going and having a coffee in this beautiful old shrine that otherwise probably would have just been left to rot and fall down eventually and it was just so cool kind of sitting there and I journaled and talked to God and had an amazing spiritual moment but just sitting there and going oh wow somebody's seen this and deemed the experience of having a morning coffee just as spiritual as the experience of getting up early and praying before the birds. It was really, really cool to see it being done in a modern, relevant, honest way.
1: Yeah. All
5: right. I really like the kind of concept here, but I was just wondering maybe if Reed could explain that first verse. I'm not sure how I could see that as a metaphor, like um, the list he had up, the one about leaving the body or something like that. Seem to be about death.
0: I think I can't remember. Okay. We might be able to bring it back up again. And see what it was. Oh, hello. Um, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Uh, they cannot touch your soul. Do you want to go? To, do you want me to have a go? Do you want to go? Yeah, go on.
1: Yeah, um, I, I was using that verse to kind of show how from a certain point of view you might read that and understand your body and your soul as being very separate and also about um, I don't know maybe a greater importance getting placed on your soul so yeah how is it not that Um, I mean I think there's a right way to read it and a, a way to read it that's not helpful um so, yeah, like, that is true, that in one sense we do exist beyond our body. Um, yeah. Hi. <laughs> hi, Sophie. But I'm also trying to get it, uh, get it across that our bodily existence does have a lot to do with our soulful existence, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not to downplay one or say that these verses aren't true. Okay. Yeah. Is that? Yeah, cool.
0: Bernard?
2: Yeah, it's interesting that um, the idea of soul comes from the, um, in the Hebrew text where it says um, uh, God gathered earth, um, shaped the body, and then breathed this breath into mortality, into the body, and it became a living soul, which then means the body is part of the soul, Um, And the spirit is part of the soul. So when the body is killed, the soul that has the body in it continues to live. So you cannot kill the body and think you kill life. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's important. To, okay, hand, ooh, hands, um, I, they're not fists yet. That's good. Um, I think it's important to frame this as well within within the concept of resurrection. Um, that that for Paul and um, for the early church um, and for the Jews, God God was going to to resurrect in a new material existence. Uh, so, if this rendition of the body is killed. Um, they, they can they can destroy that, but what they can 't destroy is god 's ability to hold you and to, and to and to resurrect you as a whole person so what paul 's getting at here is don 't don 't cave in don't don 't give in because they threaten your body because there 's something more powerful than that, and that is the resurrection so does that clear it up any that <laughs> that something will live on beyond this rendition of the body in the resurrection. And so if, if if we hold to God, then we're holding to life. And even though this body dies, it will all be resurrected together and they won't actually have changed us. They don't have power over us eternally. And so there's a yeah, there's a small um, difficulty in the reading of it because there's – my reading of Paul anyway, a difference between this rendition of our body and the rendition of our body that will live on in the resurrection. Yeah, I don't know whether that's helping or making things more confusing. Rod? <laughs> Rod's really good at this.
6: Um, just an ad for Anamkara, one of the books that um, we've been looking at, and in that it talks about the soul, <coughs> excuse me, not being something inside of us, but something that contains the body, um, and I, found, I find that image incredibly helpful because rather than soulfulness being looking inside, soulfulness is actually um, understanding the connections that we have with other people that our, our senses our connections with other people this is this is our soul and it 's actually learning not to look inside but to, to look out uh, in the right way um, and that all of our connections, all of our conversations, are actually speaking through our soul to the other, um, and it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's incredible how just a subtle shift of the way that we imagine something can um, can completely change the way that we we read the Bible or the way we talk. The, the other quick thing is that um, there's this great Louis C.K. bit about um, being next to a guy on a plane who is using the internet. And the internet, you probably all know this, but the the internet is a bit slow and he gets incredibly angry. And Louis C.K. is going, this guy's sitting in a comfortable chair in the sky, travelling at an incredibly high speed whilst on the internet, and yet his emotional state is rage at the speed of the internet. And just that incredible sense of, of entitlement and that incredible sense of complete disconnection from reality that is that characterizes our culture and I think what we're talking about today is about um the incredible incredibly difficult process of um within a culture like this of connecting with reality God's reality which is that um we are blessed we should be incredibly grateful for, for everything that we have, we should be you know, connected with our mortality and with our fragility, all of that kind of stuff, and everything in our culture conspires against that.
3: Um, I was just thinking about how a lot of the things that Jesus did were very kind of mundane and miraculous at the same time like, turning water into wine, or I think there's a story where he, like, spits in people, someone's eyes, or puts mud in their eyes, or maybe there's two different stories where he heals. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know, but obviously my my Bible reading's a little rusty, Um, (laughs) but I was also wondering how, how would you frame this in terms of um, the context of when the body is broken, like, illness or disability um because i've i've been to churches in the past where that that illness or those ne- that need for healing gets placed on you and there's something that you uh, it's your responsibility to be, just believe enough and you'll get out of that wheelchair and walk um so how do you like how do you place that like and then there's that story where jesus says your sins are forgiven, and the, the crowd's still waiting for the, a miracle, and he says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll heal you as well, but the important part is that your sins are forgiven, so how do you, how do you frame that in the context of what we're talking about today?
0: Yeah, um, without, I won't take too long on this, um, because a friend of mine is actually coming in um, mid-July to talk about spirituality, fragility, independence. He's a, um, he is one of my New Testament lectures at the um, college of, uh, um, attend in Sydney, and, um, and one of my very good friends. And he uh, was a you know, 40-year-old, very tall, gangly, um, very, very active um, skating, surfing, um, theology lecturer who had a BMX bike accident at a school fair. Um, and in an instant, um, had a spinal cord injury, and is now a tetraplegic. Um, so he has dealt with this at length about this idea of what do we do um, with this concept of um, you know of, of the body, and, and and it's something that we all face because we all, and this is kind of what I was getting at before, we all will die, um, but in the Jewish world, that doesn't. in in Paul's book especially, that doesn't denigrate the physical existence. It makes it more important because when we die, there will be the resurrection. And so the end goal is not disembodiment. The end goal is reincarnation. Um, And yeah, I, I... I want to talk about that, but I think we'll just leave it till Shane comes because it'd be really nice to spend a decent amount of time on that. But I, I think that's a really, really important, important question because, yeah, for yeah, a, a lot of popular Christian theology makes disability um, incredibly difficult to carry alongside um, faith, which is really, really sad and disappointing. Uh, yeah.
5: Um, this is just following on from Rod and a few others, um, just about the the word mind, mindfulness keeps coming to my head and that's a word that we often read about, you know, it's sort of a trendy term now. And I think it originated from a Buddhist philosophy, I'm not sure, or Chinese, and is now being used in psychology and lots of things. But my point was uh, mindfulness is a bit like having an awareness of what's where we are and at, at this time of place, not the past or the future, but just what's happening around us, the smells, the... Senses, but also what's occurring with us, and I think we can, as Christians, overlay a spiritual um, level to that, so that you know we're mindful of of our soul around us. And I was also going to comment. You mentioned about plumbing and uh, jobs. You know that we go to work, and most of us it's a secular job, but just being mindfully aware and spiritually aware of what's what's happening in our daily life and. Um, people we meet or the things that come to us and it's you know we're in our place the place that God has put us so we might not be sort of preaching or anything but just being aware that God is using us but also he's in the essence of um, the spiritualness of of what we're doing just as we work and come into connection with other people.
0: Yeah I I, I love love the idea of mindfulness as um, the Yeah, the practice of the presence of God, the practice of paying attention. That when we take time to pay attention and take time out to do it, it's training for the ability to pay attention when things are going full bore so that we don't lose perspective and we keep our lives in shape. The idea is that the end goal is not spending more and more time practicing a set aside, but that we are more and more able to do those things when we're doing the things that we're called to do as human beings yeah last couple because
7: I guess that's a nice segue to what my recent spiritual journey has been very much about um, taking time out for retreat taking time out and I went on one yesterday uh, and actually looking at a lot of depth at some of the um, spiritual authorities over the decades over the centuries and it was very clear to me yesterday um, an insight about that's about becoming more integrated. It's about becoming more and more who God's created us to be. And I have a, that clear sense that for each of us that journey is about not less of me but more of me Under, under in that way that is more integrated, integrated in all the dimensions of who we are to then be who we're, that particular unique contribution that we're to be in those places that we're called to be. And that's enormously powerful, that's an aspect of God that would not otherwise be if we would if we, for, for each one of us.
2: I just want to pose a different kind of perspective to what Rod said before about it being incredibly difficult to come out of that sense of entitlement. I think it's also incredibly simple, and I think it's around you know Louise spoke last week about the breath prayer. And it's a very simple technique to be present and to be present with God. So, yes, our culture is very overwhelming, but I think it is also, I don't think we should fear how do we get out from that cultural load. I think it's also incredibly simple to be present. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to, to have that said
0: as well. Yeah, cool. um, all right, then. Very briefly, <laughs> you're on the clock.
8: Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I understand spirituality to be a very simple way of life. Um, And I love this discussion on embodied spirituality because I believe quite strongly that our spirituality is tied to our bodies. It's a part of who we are. It's not only an integrated approach to life, but um, an openness to experience. Psychologists view it as an openness to experience, not just with transcendence. Um, And a lot of the feminist theologians do ascribe to the embodied view of spirituality um but this going back to this the concern for the other i think if we divorce our own personal spirituality from the caring of our world around us then i think we're missing part of what it's all about as well so i think we need to have a focus on our own development towards wholeness and integration and the way that we relate to god but it's also the way that we concern are concerned for our world for our environment and um yeah, a concern for justice.
0: Yeah, so. absolutely. Beautiful. Um, we're going to go to a thin place <laughs> right now. Um, on your tables is some crackers and some juice, which have been used across the centuries as a thin place, of a place where we carve aside to somehow connect <laughs> mystically with the fact that God himself became flesh. An integration. That the end goal is not escape. The end goal is resurrection. New life. And this morning we're going to eat and drink together. So if you want to um, share the elements around your table, I just want you to grab your cracker and um, touch it. Feel, it, feel its texture this morning. The sharp bits. The rounded bits. The dryness. I want you to, let's just close our eyes together. I'm going to think about God in the cracker. Jesus body, Jesus blood. The meeting of heaven and earth. The affirmation of our lives, of our bodies. Not dislocation, but relocation. God throwing himself deeply into this world. Forgiving sins. Healing, loving, redeeming, restoring, all in anticipation of one day, that coming in all of its fullness, we eat and drink together in anticipation. Let's eat and drink together. Um, we are a dialoguing community and we think that the conversations that happen outside <coughs> of a service <coughs> are equally, when we're not choking on crackers, we think those things. Um, we think the conversations that happen outside of services are more important than the conversations that happen inside. Um, we can only ever get so far talking together on a Sunday morning, but I would really encourage you to um, engage with these ideas, to challenge them. Um, our... Uh, we, we don't see our role here is to be gurus with the answer to everything. We don't see uh, the things we say to be infallible. We work really, really hard at, um, at, at studying and at, and at learning, but um, we think that as a community we develop theology together. So it would be really good if this week if you could um, have some conversations, write some things down, um, talk with each other, and really wrestle with this stuff. Um, that would be great. Why don't we stand together for the benediction? which I've lost. Does Louise have a benediction? Louise ripped it in half. She's not pro-benediction. That's cool. Dead religion, she calls it. Uh, There's uh, tea and coffee and some fruit and some other bits and pieces over to that side um, afterwards if you want to join us together. Invite someone out for lunch. Everyone's new here. No one knows anyone. No one's asked me out for lunch either. So um, make sure you be friendly. In some way, if you have the energy this weekend, let's pray together. Loving Father, we thank you for receiving our worship, hearing our prayers, feeding us with your word, and encouraging us in our fellowship. As we leave this place, take us and use us to love and serve you and all people in the power of your spirit and in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Go in peace.